Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. Well, good morning, everyone. How is everyone doing this morning? Good? Are we awake? Are we happy? I said in the first service, you need to smile extra large so that I see those pretty little lines next to your eyes because I can't see your smiling faces. But it is so good to be with you all. And to all of our friends online, it is so amazing that we can join with you this morning in your living rooms, wherever you are are viewing from. We're just grateful that you are part of our community this morning and we get to stir our faith together. One of the things that I have been noticing uh, on social media feeds and perhaps you've had similar experiences, I've got a lot of friends and family who are down in Sydney and they're in that long stage of lockdown. And the torturous thing that so many of them seem to be doing is looking back through their camera rolls and posting about holidays they used to go on. Absolute torture. I was watching one yesterday and I just thought, oh my days. But it reminded me of holidays and I was thinking about uh, how good holidays are and especially the holidays that you go on with people outside of your immediate family because you kind of get a little glimpse into how they do life. You get to see when they arrive at the hotel or the apartment, Airbnb, whatever it is, what gets them excited. Do they go and jump on the bed straight away? Do they look for how big the bath is in the bathroom? Do they look out the window at the views? Like, what is it that gets them excited about a holiday? And I've also realised that there's definitely two types of people in our world when it comes to unpacking. There are those who get their suitcase out, they unzip it, and every single thing in their suitcase then finds a spot. We've got some in the front row here. There's, you put everything on the shelves, in the cupboards, under the sink, in the kitchen. Everything in your suitcase is unpacked and found a place. But then you zip back up your suitcase, you put it either under the bed or stow it away in the cupboard because you are set, you have settled in for it. Then we have our other friends who unpack by unzipping their suitcase. And that's it. That's it, right? I loved in the 8am, I had all the front row just like cheering for the first person and all the back row being cheering for the second person. I love it. But there's really two types of people when it comes to unpacking. I kind of err on the side of the first person uh, to the point where on holidays I bring my own candles, I set up fairy lights, I really get on in there. And someone said to me like, oh, but like I don't necessarily go on those kind of long holidays. And I was like, two nights? Yeah, we're, we're there. So I'm that kind of person. I love to unpack. But I wonder what it would take for you to change perhaps your method of unpacking. What would it take? If I told you that you were going to stay in the same room for a week, would you unpack? No. Yes. What happens if I said for a month? What happens if I said for a year? Okay, now you're coming around. Well, friends, why not do it on the first night? That's my encouragement to you. Very good, very good. Uh, But one of the things I was thinking about is not only is it something that we do on holidays, but I think it's also a posture of how we can live our lives. There's the people who unpack 
their life and they're settled and they're steady and they're ready to go and they've got everything in its place because they just can't wait to go out and to be on mission or at work or whatever it is. And my encouragement is thinking around what would it take for us to live lives unpacked? What would it take for us to be in a place where we are so ready, we're so settled and uh, we've just got our eyes open to see what God is doing? Because I don't know about you, but I want to live in this world, in this life, ready to go. I want to see every single opportunity and uh, position that God places me in as a, as a way to bring the gospel to them. I want to see an opportunity where I am perhaps the only uh, Christian in the room, or perhaps I'm the only Christian in my family or in my living arrangements where I'm able to bring the good news of the gospel. I want to live ready. I want to bless our city. And our series that we're in at the moment is looking at rework. We're looking at what it means to bring the glory of God to, the, uh, to our worlds in the places where we serve, either in vocational work or uh, where we volunteer or where we live in our communities. How can we redefine this notion of work from something that has so many negative connotations and actually bring it into the place where God is able to use it, use it for his glory and for his goodness and for people to experience God through that. Who wants to live in that way? Because I do. I want to live in that world. And one of the things is that we have been seeing this all throughout time, we, we find great solace knowing that those who have gone before us have also struggled with this notion of, okay, how do I bless those around me? How do I live in a position where I am bringing the goodness of God into situations? And we, we see this in our Israelite friends. And if you've been reading the Bible with us this year, they've become our second community because we've walked right alongside them every step of the way. But this morning, what we're going to see is that this people group was actually brought into exile. And uh, we're, we're hearing from Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was a prophet. And we're introduced to him actually at the beginning where a good king of Judah, can you believe it? There was a good king of Judah. Uh, Josiah was in power. But the thing is, after Josiah, all the kings after that adopted the, uh, the ways and the idols of the surrounding nations. And so what happened was a community and a nation that was flourishing and that was following after God's own heart and, and really bringing the good news into that situation, what we see is it starts to demise. And Jeremiah gives a bunch of warnings, uh, but perhaps not strong enough because these people were brought into exile because the superpowers of the day, we had our uh, Babylonian empire, they were to the southeast of Judah, uh, what they did is they rose up and they came into Judah and they seized the land. And they took all of the leaders, the people of influence, the merchants, uh, the rulers, the kings, the authorities. They took them out of Jerusalem and took them back to Babylon. And it was a place where they did not want to be. It was a place where their home wasn't, their heart wasn't, and they were in a situation of great uh, depression and exile. And I can imagine Jeremiah in those moments thinking, oh my gosh, I told you so. I wish that you had listened to me. Otherwise, you know, this couldn't have happened. And so we jump in in Jeremiah 29. You can read along on the screen with me. It says this, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they provide. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Jeremiah here, in essence, is saying, unpack your bags, settle down, plant gardens, get to work, because you're going to be here for a while, and I don't want you to miss what I'm doing in this moment. What Jeremiah is doing is bringing great instruction and inspiration to a place that's actually quite down and depressed and in full of despair. And so it's in this climate that we see the fact that there's, there's been spiritual leaders who have been saying to the Israelites in exile, oh, guys, don't worry. We've got three of them. We, we hear their names in the book of Jeremiah, Ahab, Zechariah, and uh, Shema. These three in particular were saying, you know, don't worry about it. We'll be back soon. There's, there's no need to uh, make anything too permanent. We'll be back in Jerusalem. Don't worry, everything will go back to normal. And, and what Jeremiah is doing is, is encouraging them to say, no, 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 wait a minute. Don't just leech off this land. Don't just uh, can be uh, settled for anything less than being able to thrive and flourish and prosper this city. And so they're, they're, they're in this torn position where they don't know who to listen to. But the beautiful thing is Jeremiah is giving such beautiful instruction to say, settle down, get ready, because God's going to do some incredible things. I, I've noticed, though, in the last 18 months, I've found a similar rhetoric in my mind. I've been thinking, oh, I can't wait for things to go back to normal. Yeah. I wonder if you've thought that, you've said it, you've heard it. Oh, if, if, if things will, will just go back to the way they were. Or this will all be over soon. Don't worry, things, things will go back. And I would diagnose that we're actually in a state of exile ourselves. We're in a place where we do not want to be, where our home is not as congenial as it once was, and and we're conflicted and we're confused, and we don't know necessarily the way out. We're in a place where we feel out of control, and there's a lot of fear and anxiety, anxiety circling. It is a form of exile. We do not want to be where we are. And it's, it's in this place that we have heard so much. We've experienced ourselves, but we've also pastorally heard that there's been so much grief, so much painful grief, grief of hopes, grief of missing families, uh, grief of adventure that's been put on pause, of not knowing what's next. There's been so much grief, and there's also been a frightening amount of fear. And it's into this place that we want to encourage you to seek peace and to seek uh, guidance from our Lord because he is the one that we want to turn to when times are uneasy, when times are confusing. He is the one that we want to find our solace in. And so this, this idea, this shift is saying, okay, well, if you're in a place where you don't want to be, if you're in exile with no longer with your friends, no longer with your family, no longer in a place where your faith makes sense, what are you to do? And Jeremiah's instruction is incredible. He says, okay, so in this climate of despair, I want to give you some instruction. He says, build houses and settle down. 
That means lay some foundations. You don't buy a house somewhere that you're not willing to stay. And so he's saying build houses and settle down. Offer hospitality, even though you're in this foreign land, accept it as your own so that then you're able to have people, to welcome people into this place. He says, plant gardens and eat what they provide. Establish business, get to work, start to uh, make a home, plant things, because once you've done through the seasons, they will bear fruit. You guys all know my history of gardening, and we're not going to go there this morning, but... This instruction here is around seeing the fruitfulness that is to come. Then there's talks about relationships, the idea of uh, settling down and getting married and and being fruitful and multiplying. It sounds a lot like what we see in uh, notions of of flourishing, the idea that be fruitful and multiply, go out into the ends of the earth and take my message with you. This idea, increase, do not decrease. Go forward, don't retreat, push forward into God. So then we see, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. As a side note, I love just this gentle word of I've carried you. Because sometimes when you are removed from a place of comfort, sometimes when you feel out of your depth and you're confused, it's easy to forget that we have a God who carries us. And it's so beautiful and reassuring to know that even in the times where we're not sure, even when the times when things are confusing, God is right there. He's accessible. And what does he say? He says, seek seek the peace and prosperity of the city. How many times, I wonder, do we pray for peace in our city? How many times do we want to see our city flourish, to see it thrive, to have that position where we're allowing God to use us to be his hands and feet in those environments. Our Lord is not absent in this season. He is carrying us. So pray for his peace to prevail in our city. These uh, Babylonians, you know, now that they have the Israelite people in their city, wouldn't it be amazing if they then sought and tasted that the Lord was good? Imagine if the Spirit of God was rubbing off on them because they had planted where they were. They were established to see their city uh, prosper. And so then the Babylonians got amazing testimony of the goodness of God. Our worlds should be better off because us, Jesus' followers, are in them. Our cities, our workplaces, our families, our friends, our living environments should be better off because we carry the fragrance of Christ in them. So is that something that we're noticing? Is that something that we see in our world, the fact that we are able to bless it? The question could be asked, is the world a better place because Christians are in it? So many amazing uh, medical advances, scientific advances, So many beautiful steps that we've seen in our past are done by incredible people who have deep, profound relationships with God. And I want to introduce you to a few this morning, just so that we can not only be inspired by them, but we can learn this blueprint of bringing God into our situation so that we're able to use whatever influence, whatever environment we have to his goodness and his glory. So the first one I want to introduce you to, his name is Dag Hammarskjöld. And he is uh, a Swedish guy who lived early in the 1900s. 
and he was known admirably as Mr. UN. He was the general secretary of the UN for a number of years, and what he did is he blazed the path of peace, uh, positioning himself in a place of, of huge authority so that he could bring what he believes is necessary from heaven to earth, the peace of God. So what he did was he uh, led his team well and he pioneered this, this ground and did an excellent job at bringing peace into such destruction. But what was interesting is that after his actual tragic death, his journals were found. And his journals, he, he called them the markings. And in them uh, were all of his introspection, all, all of his inner life was written down in these journals. And one of his colleagues found these journals and was so eager to read them. Can you imagine finding the journal of the head of the UN and you would be ready for some secrets, you'd be ready for some agendas and exposed kind of crazy things that went on, you'd be ready for that. And so this colleague was excited for a juicy journal and he sat down to read it and he got to about halfway through and at the halfway point he was so surprised that there were no mention of names yet. There weren't any secrets divulged. There weren't any hostility or gossip or slander in the pages. There was a particularly intense year that he was getting to in the journal. And he was excited knowing that it was a really watershed year for Doug himself. But it was also a big year for the UN. And so he was ready at the edge of his seat for those, those problems to be divulged. And the inside scoop to be had. He was ready for that. The thing with Doug, though, is that during his tenure at the UN, the UN almost doubled in size. It fought incredible battles of peace uh, in, in really heated war zones. And he had such influence uh, towards the things of God in this world. He, because of his relationship with Christ, was able to further the advancement of peace with what he could. And the UN is not perfect, and these situations are incredibly uh, conflicting and also complex. But Doug navigated that world with such integrity that his, his role there was often given extensions. And when his colleague got to the end of the markings journal, this is what he wrote. He said, not one word of obibrium, not one word of complaint or bitterness towards others. No mention of names, no secrets divulged, just the frank and unflattering examination of a man who sought God's purpose in his life and was willing to walk the road fate had marked out for him. His inner world and his outer world were in sync. Who he was at the UN and who he was in the private pages of his journal was so integrous to one another because I no doubt believed that Doug walked this line of integrity with his Lord and in the private places went to the depths of faith with God. It's a beautiful model to learn from, from someone who had inc incredible influence to know that even in those places, he was still had so much integrity and so much awe and wonder for who God is and what he was doing in his life. Next, I want to introduce you to a character that we have in the Bible. His name is Joseph. 
And Joseph was similarly in a position of exile in the sense that he was removed from his family. He was removed from his land, from his people, from his faith. He was in this place where he no longer knew what this this current climate was. He was brought into Egypt and uh, he was in a place of, of quite despair, you would say, after all of that life threw at him. He was in a place similar to the Israelites, wanting things perhaps to go back to normal, wanting things to change. But what Joseph did in those moments is he unpacked his bags. He settled in. He was sure that in this place, even though he didn't want to be in it, he knew that God could use him for, his goodness, for God's goodness and for the glory of others. He knew that through him, God could bless the city and cities upon cities. And so Joseph's stamina and his uh, perseverance with the Lord meant that there were all these opportunities that came Joseph's way. He was in prison for a while and then he was able to, through his, uh, his deep love for God and his admiration of God, he was then able to use the gifts that God gave him to influence those around him. And he was given both uh, promotions, but also had incredible character. His competency did not outrun his character, which I think is so important when it comes to us in our workplaces, us in our families, making sure that we're not just doing good work, but we also have the right heart and the character after God to back it up. And so in Genesis 39, we read about the blessing that the Lord bestowed. It says, From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Joseph had major influence. He had major promotions, but he never let that outrun his relationship with God. He always brought it back to that quiet place of being fueled and restored by the Lord. And that's what I want to do in my day-to-day. I don't want to steam right after uh, promotions and influence, but I want to keep my heart close to the Lord. And in doing so, just watch what opportunities he brings about. Joseph, in essence, was the only Christian in his workplace. He was the only one who had a heart after God. And I know that for so many of us, we're in a place where we're surrounded by those who don't share the same faith as us. So be encouraged that if Joseph can do it, so can you. That he can establish the depths and the quiet place of his relationship with God that then propels him to do amazing things to bless his city. He definitely unpacked his bags and got to work. The third person I'd love to introduce you to is my good friend, Jen. Jen, at the beginning of lockdown last year, was like many of us, was confused, a bit thrown, didn't know now what life was going to look like. Um, And she and her son, Cam, decided to make the very most of this time. They saw incredible need, and so they wanted to do what they could to try and uh, bless the city around them, bless those around them. And so what they did is they woke up, super early and uh, went around to supermarkets and and got any leftover vegetables and they kind of arranged the vegetables, fruit and veg, they distributed it to those in need. 
And they did it with one other friend, so there was three of them, and they just did it every morning, just their little part. They just organized these fruit and vegetable and, and gave them to people in need. And now, one year later, they have over 300 volunteers doing this project. The fact that when we do good works and we bless our city, it's contagious. People get a glimpse of what it means then to use what God has put in your hands in order to bless those around you. And so now 300 people every morning, they do this and they distribute food to those in need. And it's just an incredible, like Jen would always say, it's nothing that she did. It was just organizing some fruit and veg. And we can all do that. But she said the way that God moves through that is quite powerful. And so Jen and Cam, they're still involved in this, but they definitely can see God's hand at work and they are definitely blessing their city. Blessing the city, though, it's, it's an opportunity, but it's also a challenge. And I know for many of us here in the room and online, that there just doesn't seem to be enough fuel in the tank. We feel depleted. We feel exhausted. We feel confused. And perhaps there's just too much fear around it. We are immobilized and we don't know what we can do to bless those around us. And what I'd love to encourage you is to uh, listen to or watch or re-listen to and watch Pastor Alex Stark's message from last week. Because what we heard about was a rhythm that actually helps replenish us. It helps fill up our tanks a little bit more. And that regular rhythm of Sabbath in in our life actually equips us to then be able to go out and bless the city. When you're running on empty, these things are incredibly hard. But when you're fueled by God because of some really healthy rhythms of rest, we're able to then take one step closer to work out what God has put in our hand, where he's positioned us, and how we then are to use that to bless our city around us. In my context, I think about this a lot. I think about uh, how I'm able to bless those around me. And at the moment, I live with uh, two other girls who are not following Jesus yet. I think constantly about the words and the, the actions that I do and how they bring the fragrance of Christ. I think often about the Bible that they're reading through my life and my actions. And I keep very short accounts with the Lord, especially when I'm feeling depleted and that I have not, meant, not, not much energy to do what I'm feeling I need to do in the name of the Lord. But in this place... I am constantly reminded and encouraged in the words in scripture to persevere and to keep going and keep running the race that the Lord has set out for me. I am so aware that I don't want to grow weary in doing what is good. I want to be continually filled by the Spirit so that I'm able to keep in step with Him and in line with Him. And I'm able to then be an armor bearer for Christ in our home. And let me say, it's an opportunity and it is a challenge. And I wonder for us in the room, is that might be your workplace, an opportunity and a challenge. It might be your family. It might too be your living arrangement. It might be your neighbourhood. Opportunity and challenge that requires us to lean heavily into God, to ask him what he's up to, to equip us and refuel us with what we need in order to continue to bless the city around us. So where is it for you? What does this look like for you? 
What does it look like for you to unpack your bags, to settle in, to be awake and ready for what God is doing in and through you? What would it look like for you to walk into your workplaces tomorrow, to wake up to your family, to visit your friends and your neighbours? What would it look like for you to do that in a way that brings the goodness of God to those in, in your proximity? Imagine if we were an empowered people who changed the world around us purely because of the fact that we carry the fragrance of Christ in us. Imagine the change that we would see. Imagine the, the view and the, and the front row seat that people would get into the heart and the character and the nature of God. Imagine if we were a church that we gather here and online just to then go out and to influence and to affect our worlds in the name of God, not for our own glory, not for our own building up, but rather for the glory and the goodness of God. So many of us are in this place where we don't necessarily want to be. We kind of want to rewind to 2019. We want to go back to Jerusalem in essence. We're feeling unsteady because we want normal. Or perhaps your heart is so longing just to be in the eternity of heaven that you find it hard to bring the blessing in the present. And my encouragement to us is we need to be fueled by God, recognize that it's in his strength that we're able to do that, not our own, in order to then bless those around us. I want to encourage you lastly by this beautiful quote from Eugene Peterson. He's writing into the context that we find uh, the Israelites in. They settled down to find out what it meant to be God's people in a place they didn't want to be, in Babylon. The result was that this became the most creative period in the entire sweep of Hebrew history. They did not lose their identity, they discovered it. They learned how to pray in deeper and more life-changing ways than ever. Imagine if this COVID season was a similar story. It's not where we want to be, but imagine if this was the time that the church of God, the, the community of fellow believers were able to bring the most creativity, the most uh, innovative ideas to bring the kingdom forward. Imagine if this just wasn't a waste or it just wasn't that like 18, two years that we just we didn't want to forget, but rather it was a catalyst to bring incredible uh, godly dreams into life, godly ambition into life, where your workplace was changed because you were in it and you were bringing the fragrance of God. In this series, we have had this beautiful opportunity where we've been able to commission and honour those in different uh, vocations. And it's something that we take great humility in, but we take great importance in the fact that we recognise in this room and online that there are people who are sent into this world to be light bearers, to be armour bearers, to carry the fragrance of Christ. And what we want to do right now is to create a moment where uh, we just get to commission you, we get to pray for you, and we get to honour you. So the two groups that we want to uh, take a moment to really focus on today and throughout the weeks of this series, we kind of cover all different areas. But the ones that we want to do today is uh, anyone who works in our community in these settings of church and ministry, chaplaincy, carpenters, practical trades, plumbing, 
hairdressers, builders, electricians, mechanics, food preparation and service, tourism and hospitality. If you work in any one of these areas or if you volunteer or you did work in one of these, I would love to invite you to stand all around this room. Amazing. The second group of people I would love to ask to stand are those who work in social services. So our not-for-profit, social services, government and health, council government, politics, legal professions, law, armed services, police force, firefighters, lifeguards, all of those. If you work in any of these social services, would you please stand as well? We honour you in where you are sent. We honour you in where you spend your week. We honour you in where you are able to be the beacon of light in those places. Thank you for the way that you step in, knowing that this is where God has placed you right now. And our prayer is that you continue to be fueled by His Spirit in this place, where you're able to see opportunities arise where you're feeling empowered and refreshed in His Spirit to be able to bless those around you, where you're able to live unpacked. Can we just take a moment to honour every single one of these people who are standing? We share in one calling to be children of God and to bring His his character and His work and His salvation to this earth, but we also have all individual assignments that are designed for us and that God positions strategically us in those places. So let me pray for every single person standing. Lord Jesus, I thank You, Lord, that You carry us each and every day. And Lord, for every single person standing here, Lord, that you have them in a position of influence. Lord, in a position where they're able to bring the goodness of you into their workplace, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will fill up their tanks this morning, Lord. Fill them up to a place where they're able to recognise that they are desperate to see more of you in their workplace. Lord, I pray that they will not feel alienated because of their faith, but Lord, empowered knowing that you are with them, that you commission them, that you send them. Lord, and that in you we are able to find strength. So Lord, I pray that every single workplace, every single uh, volunteer organisation, Lord, every neighbourhood, whatever it may be that is represented today, will become more like you, that we will see your flourishing at work. Lord, that because of every single person here, every workplace is made better because one of your children is in it reflecting your goodness. So Lord, I pray that these people will go commissioned and sent by you, knowing the power that is in them through Jesus Christ. And I pray that they will be able to see the opportunities that you align each and every day for them to be the hands and feet of Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.